0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. And we're of course done part one, we're on part two, looking at every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I'd also like to thank Lionel Romaine, who became the newest patron of the podcast's I truly do appreciate it. And don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. I have Canada's Great War, which releases every Sunday and looks at Canada during the First World War. And I have Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway, and it comes out every single Thursday, and all are on all podcast platforms. Of course, I do all of this full-time, the writing, the research, editing, everything. So... Every dollar you give helps keep it all going and I truly appreciate it and I'll thank you on the air and through my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at You can find me on Twitter. My handle is craig baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D and I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. And if you enjoy the episode, please consider giving a five-star review. Anybody who writes a five-star review gets a mention on the air and again throughout my social media. In the last episode on George Drew, I mentioned that the successor to Drew was John Diefenbaker, and that is true, but in between, for a very brief period, there was another man. His time as the leader of the opposition was five months, and he led the progressive conservatives for two weeks, but he was much more than that. Born in Hull, Iowa to Canadian parents on May thirteenth, 1894, William Rowe came to Ontario with his parents when he was only two. Growing up in a rural area, he would become a cattle breeder and farmer when he was an adult, and he would spend time at a business college in Toronto. In 1917, he married Treva Alda Lillian Lennox, and together the couple had four children, one of whom died in infancy. In 1919, Rowe got his first taste of politics when he became the Reeve of the township of West Willembury, a role that he would serve in until 1923. In 1923, he would join the Provincial Legislature as an MPP and served until 1925. The year that he left Provincial Politics, he would be elected to the House of Commons. In 1935, he became one of the youngest cabinet ministers under R.B. Bennett, the Prime Minister at the time, when he served as a minister without a portfolio. Rowe would say of Bennett that he was, quote, probably the most knowledgeable and least appreciated Prime Minister because of the very difficult time he went through, end quote. Of course, we looked at R.B. Bennett way back in Part 1, and if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do it because he's much more than just the Depression-era Prime Minister. During Rowe's time in the House of Commons, he would never have less than a majority of votes in each election, with his best election being 1930, when he had 4,981 votes over his opponent. In 1935, when the Conservatives suffered a terrible defeat at the hands of the Liberals, who began 22 years in power, Roe left the House of Commons and focused back on provincial politics. At the time, Roe was described as tall, handsome, an able debater who was fluent and persuasive in his speaking. In 1936, he quickly became a force in Ontario, becoming the leader of the Conservative Party of Ontario. A main reason for his sudden ascension to the top of the party was the fact that he did not live in Toronto. For rural members of the party, that appealed to them, and for the party members in Toronto, it made him more acceptable in their minds to the rest of Ontario. The Windsor Star described him as such, quote, A practical farmer and a well-known livestock breeder, Mr. Rowe has always been keenly interested in urban, as well as rural, problems. End quote. One party member who was not identified mentioned in the National Post, saying, quote, Rowe is an able man. So are the others. They are all able men, but Toronto constituencies have more voters in them to members elected than others outside. End quote. At the time, Rowe did not have a seat in the legislature, and he could not serve as the official leader of the opposition in the Ontario legislature. After failing to win a seat in the 1937 Ontario election, Rowe would resign as leader of the party, and he'd be replaced by George Drew who Rowe would replace as leader of the Progressive Conservatives almost two decades later. Rowe was soon acclaimed in a by-election and found himself back in the House of Commons, a place he would remain in for the next 25 years. Every election night that Rowe was re-elected to the House of Commons, his hometown of Newton-Robinson would celebrate at its home to cheer on the man they saw as a hometown hero. Throughout his life, Rowe was described as a man who had a charming and friendly personality, who never forgot a name he was said to always take time to stop shake hands and talk to members in the community he often didn't tend to make waves in the house of commons not like drew would in his efforts to always oppose prime minister william lyne Mackenzie king in fact roe was not always one to make speeches but when he did it would make the papers for the rare occurrence that it was one such instance came over the issue of conscription during the second world war on november 14 1941 he would launch into a long tirade against the Liberals, stating, quote, I hear the Minister of National Defence say we are for an all-out war effort, that the Canadian Front is on the English Channel, that the defence of Canada is over there, and someone else is saying that an election pledges and that we cannot have selective service for overseas, but that we will adopt conscription of compulsory service for Canada. I begin to wonder what the position is. Rowe, calling for conscription, would add, quote, I would like him to tell us that he had gone down to his compatriots in Quebec and explained to these loyal people that the home front for the defense of Canada is overseas, that without a mandate he had brought in compulsory selective service to defend the shores of Canada, and that, therefore, he was justified in providing for compulsory military service for where the fighting is going to be. That doesn't mean he wouldn't raise his voice when he needed to. On March 15, 1945, he would criticize King and state that in the previous two months he had, quote, witnessed a government record of procrastination and vacillation unparalleled in our history. The hesitant and evident fear of the right honourable Mr. King to meet Parliament early enough to allow the representatives time to fully air the people's grievances as one of the most sacred functions of our parliamentary system is a growing insult to democratic government. End quote. The Windsor Star would describe the speaking style of Roe, saying, He spoke without notes in a rollicking way, being adept at countering interjections. His old-style speaking form and ready humour often had political friends and foes alike bursting with laughter. Heading into the 1953 election, after 18 years of Liberal rule in Canada, Roe would state that the chances were good for the progressive Conservatives to come back to power. He was right, but he was off by only four years. Rowe would actually serve briefly as leader of the opposition twice. The first time was from 1954 to 1955, when Drew was dealing with meningitis and could not be in the House of Commons. As a result of his illness, which we learned about in the last episode, Drew would choose to resign as leader of the Progressive Conservatives, and with that resignation, Rowe became the leader of the opposition on August 1st, 1956. Rowe served as the opposition leader until December 13, 1956. In that span, he also served as the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada from November 29, 1956 to December 14, 1956. In both those capacities, he would be succeeded by John Diefenbaker, who would become Prime Minister the following year. Rowe would remain in the House of Commons after he served briefly as leader, but not in Cabinet. One interesting aspect of his final years in Parliament was that from 1958 to 1962, he served with his daughter, Jean Wads. This makes them the only father and daughter to ever sit together in Parliament. His son-in-law, who is actually three years older than him, also served in the House of Commons from 1925 to 1958, the year of his death. One month after he left Parliament on April 8, 1963, Rowe was appointed as the 20th Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, on May 1, 1963, by Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. Diefenbaker would state that Roe was chosen for his, quote, lifetime of public service fits him admirably for this appointment, end quote. Diefenbaker officially appointed Roe as Lieutenant Governor on January 15, 1963, but when Roe finally took over as Lieutenant Governor, Diefenbaker was no longer in power, and Lester B. Pearson was the new Prime Minister. His swearing in ceremony was delayed, unfortunately, due to a foot infection that Roe had. In taking office, Roe would state, I feel rather non pulsed as to how I should approach this honorable office. End quote. During his time as Lieutenant Governor, he would become known for his Cadillac Fleetwood sedan, which had number one as his license plate, a perk of being the Lieutenant Governor. He would also be able to attend events that appealed to him such as the Ottawa Winter Fair and Horse Show in 1965, where he inspected the Governor General's foot guards. In November of 1967, he would join Prince Philip in placing a wreath at the Cenotaph in front of Toronto's Old City Hall. As Lieutenant Governor, Rowe was a supporter of agriculture and rural affairs, as well as harness horse racing. His love of horse racing would be passed to his son, who would start building race tracks around Ontario as a result. Rowe would spend most of the time that he was in Parliament also taking part in harness races, with his last official harness race taking place in 1962. One of his most memorable moments in racing came in 1946, when he became the Canadian owner and driver to compete at the famed Hamiltonian trotting classic at Gosham, New York. In that race he drove Riddle Todd, who Rowe considered to be among the finest horses he ever handled. Rowe also served as the president of the Canadian Standard Bred Horse Society from 1927 to 1928, and again from 1958 to 1961. Rowe would be instrumental in the creation of the Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame, and for his contributions to the sport throughout his life, he was one of the first individuals inducted into the hall in 1976. In 2013, his son was inducted into the same hall of fame his father helped create. In his role as Lieutenant Governor, he would attend harness races whenever he could. He would attend the Provincial Cup Pace, one of the oldest harness races in Canada in 1967, and at the time it was believed to be the first time that a Lieutenant Governor of Ontario had singularly honoured a harness track in the province. Rowe would serve as Lieutenant Governor until July 4th, 1968. In 1970, the Progressive Conservatives honoured Roe in a special dinner on May 13th and in attendance were George Drew, current leader of the opposition Robert Stanfield, and Montreal millionaire Jean-Louis Lévesque. Roe would say at the event, speaking at a time when the Conservatives had been out of power for seven years and would continue to be out of power for another nine years, stating, Don't lose heart. There are better days ahead. We have nothing to be ashamed of in the Conservative Party. We have a great leader today. I urge you, don't hesitate to support your leader 100%. There are times it will be difficult. There are times it will be difficult to get along with your wife. End quote. Following his retirement, he would spend his time at his farm where he had a horse breeding and harness racing business. With his son, he would found the Windsor Raceway and the Berry Raceway. He was also known to take part in racing himself. In 1970, when he was 76, he drove Damien Duchess in a fifth place finish at the 1970 Futuree at Garden City Raceway. Today, the community hosts the Earl Rowe Trot, a race to honour Rowe and his son. Many around him felt that his first love was actually always harness racing, which he began to take part in in 1913 and would continue to do so until his late 70s when he could no longer carry a licence for it. By 1976, Rowe and Thomas Murphy were the last two surviving cabinet members of R.B. Bennett's government, allowing them to vote in the convention that brought future Prime Minister Joe Clark into power. Also in 1976, Roe would resign as the president of the Windsor Raceway Board of Directors after they voted to allow off-track betting, something he completely opposed throughout his harness racing career. On February ninth, 1984, while working in his office next to the racetrack on his farm, Roe suffered a fatal stroke, passing away at the age of 89. He died only a few weeks after the death of his wife. The morning he died, he had been driving horses, doing what he loved to the very end. A school in Bradford, Ontario, and a provincial park near Alliston, Ontario, are named for Roe. The land for that provincial park came along thanks to 25 hectares donated by Roe to the government in 1958. Rowe wanted the park to be run as a non-profit with a board comprised of individuals who held public office. Ontario's Deputy Premier Robert Welch would state that Rowe was, quote, a truly wonderful Canadian who was tremendously and actively involved in community life, certainly a man who has left his mark with respect to his province and this country, End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at William Rowe, the man who only served as leader of the opposition for a very short time. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at You can also visit my website. where you will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Lionel Romaine. Randy Hayden. Doug Campbell. Reg W. Deborah Carlson. Francis Helbling. Randall McCallum. Diane Wade. Lori Ann Kirby. Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri. Shannon Marshall. Clinton Martinez. Dimitri Shove. Aaron O'Hara Myers. Robert Dunseith. Todd Casey. Catherine Roy. Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com canadianhistoryx. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information from the Montreal Gazette, Simcoe Country History, Bradford Today, Wikipedia, The Windsor Star, The Canadian Encyclopedia, the Montreal Gazette, the Calgary Herald, and the Ottawa Journal. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.